Hello and welcome to the Flatland in Focus podcast. I'm your host, D. Rashawn Gilmore, and you may know me from our monthly show airing every Thursday on Kansas City PBS. Each month we focus on a new topic impacting folks in the greater KC area, and we always end up with so many great questions from the panel of experts and community members that we assemble. So in this podcast series, we want to give you everything we couldn't fit into that neat 30-minute show. So this includes everything from Flatland follow-up as well, our audience conversation that goes live on Instagram every third Thursday at 7.30 p.m., right after our show airs. So join me as we dive into this month's topic, the Central City Economic Development Sales Tax. All right, welcome back for the discussion portion of today's program. And with me around the table, we have Ken Bacchus, who is the president of Urban Initiatives Group and the treasurer of the CCED board. Kelvin Simmons, co-developer and co-owner of One Nine Vine Development Project. Bishop James Tyndall Sr. of the uh, Urban Summit, president and founder. Thank you, Dr. Tindall, uh, Bishop Tyndall, for being here with us. And then Dr. Vernon Howard, president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference of Greater Kansas City. And I am so privileged to also welcome our only elected official at the table today, uh, Melissa Robinson, third district uh, councilwoman. And, you know, sort of before we get into today, Today's uh, discussion, uh, we asked for some uh, the city staff to be present. They were either unavailable or did not get back to us, but we're glad to have you as elected official uh, to be able to speak on behalf of the city. And I just want to do a little bit of a level set, if I can, and particularly with uh, Bishop Tyndall and Dr. Howard, because you two were both very instrumental in seeing this dream be realized. And so I just kind of wonder, from your perspective, do you feel like uh, the CCED is meeting the intent that you had for it? No. No, okay. That's a very firm no. Do you care to say why or in what ways? Well, we have, um, we, we have, we had a dream of um, rebuilding the inner city. And uh, without the support of, of the city or, or other organizations, we set out alone to try to make uh, a difference, uh, particularly in the African-American community east of Paseo, or east of Truce, as some would like to say. Uh, since uh, the inception of the tax, we asked for uh, issues, uh, we asked for several things to be done after the tax was passed, even, even though... Uh, even though the city did not support what it is what it was we were trying to do, we asked for a to for the tax to have a place a building within the inner city, uh, a executive director and a staff. Within since the inception of that tax, none of those things have happened. And I think that's an important point, too. And we're going to talk some more about that a little bit later in this panel about the infrastructure that seems to be lacking, as some might put it, in terms of being able to support the CCED. But I'm interested to know, uh, Dr. Howard, what is your take on that same question? Is the CCED meeting with the intent that you and uh, Bishop Tyndall and others had for it? I think what Bishop is referring to is the ability for us as a community to create something and establish something that that is long-term, that will be an effective investment tool that will counter the disinvestment, the social subjugation, 
the economic withdrawal that has taken place within the areas of concern, as Bishop mentioned those areas and they are clearly defined. And what we see is without the structural apparatus pieces in place, then what happens is we lose the capacity to be a long-term, sustainable, viable investment tool for the change of the system and the structure. And so if we do these things, we are beyond the individual granting of funds for projects that are good. However, we lose the opportunity to have systemic and structural change because there is no relocation of the apparatus within the urban core, within the inner city, where most poor, underemployed, unemployed, struggling, suffering black and brown people live. So let's talk about that for just a moment, because the CCED is a sales tax that was approved for a 10 year period. And we've got about four years left on that. So that was back in, in 2017. And it, it seems to me that of the $53 million that have been so far raised uh, from these tax revenues, that we're talking about 40 projects that have moved through multiple rounds. And as I listen, uh, Councilwoman, to what Dr. Howard and Bishop Tyndall are saying, I just wonder if you have a take on where that disconnect or why that disconnect is even present with the vision and the promise of what CCED could be, and not to make you responsible for all that has happened up to this point, that certainly wouldn't be fair, but just your take on why that apparatus, the infrastructure to make it really uh, be successful was not or is not in place. Um, I think you have to think about how the tax started, and um, it always started with a level of bureaucratic challenges um, in terms of um our city staff have never really felt very warm and fuzzy about this idea. And so it's something that did take the vote of the people to do that. And so, you know, you can have all the strategies in your, in the world, but, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. And there is this yeah. culture, this long standing culture at City Hall that uh, continues to be oppressive uh, to disinvested neighborhoods. And so you have the same types of attitudes around how do we advance development that's never changed. And so that's why it is important to have a standalone entity that their sole responsibility is to look after these disinvested communities and to advance, use this as an investment tool to advanced development. And so there's been a, a huge challenge as it relates to really making sure that contracts get out um, in a timely manner, making sure that, you know, there's those belts and suspenders are put in place to make sure that the monitoring is there. But at the same time, we have to look at, you know, absence of these investments when you think about the amazing work that, you know, Kelvin Simmons is doing to bring in mixed income neighborhoods back to the 18th and area, when you look at um, the catalytic project that's happening with um, the uh, Swope, uh, not Swope, it's uh, Community Builders yeah. KC, they, they changed their name, but that is along the prospect sp spine where we're able to attract a huge um, Health Forward Foundation to the urban core. So there's been some great things that have happened, but it's been 
you know, in spite of the challenges at 414 East 12th Street at City Hall. And so that's, it, it raises an interesting, you know, sort of prospect for me. And I, I'm just interested to know what both of you as developers and, uh, to be fair, former members of the city council, so you know a, a lot about the inner workings of City Hall. But what is your take, uh, Kelvin? I mean, you've got a project that's moving through the, you know, One Nine Vine project. I'm just interested to know, do you feel like the, from your side as a developer, that the project that the initiative is meeting with its potential. So one of the things that I would say here is that as a developer, uh, I have to play the hand that was dealt uh, to me. And uh, the CCED, um, I would say that but for CCED, a project like mine would never go forward. The conversation wouldn't even start. Uh, If you don't have CCED uh, trying to uh, find private investment uh, to use it as uh, a tool Uh, in the toolbox. Um, I can tell you that uh, that project that I have right now and other projects would not move forward. CCED is not the only uh, piece within the capital stack that somebody uses for the totality of a project. There are many different uh, tools that you utilize, um, but that was the cards that was dealt. And quite frankly, I'm glad it was there. Uh, if it weren't sure. there, uh, there are a lot of things that uh, would not take place. As you've already mentioned, there are probably 40 projects out there receiving the benefit of CCED. Now, um, in most of these cases, uh, a large project, the size and scope of something like I have, a uh, $26 million project, there are multiple layers of, you know, investments and subsidies um, and uh, things of that nature which go into it. Um, I would tell you that would I like to see some things differently? Uh, yeah, I would. But speak to those. Tell our audience what, what those things are that could be improvements uh, to the process. So uh, in, in my case, as I look at it, I would say that, um, for, for instance, uh, a private developer is different than a not-for-profit developer. A private developer takes CCED money. That's going to hit you with a 1099 which in some cases, uh, uh, a not-for-profit organization, uh, when you give a grant to a not-for-profit, it's not a tax issue uh, that goes uh, against you as a private developer. Right. And so for that component, the, the, the money that I would receive is now reduced uh, by the obvious situation that that's going to be a tax hit against a, a private developer. A private developer that's allowed to get additional investment, higher investment, and other things like that, if we could do it all over again, instead of getting a grant, I'd probably have a low interest loan um, gotcha. where you've got some um, entities out there that have low infer- uh, interest loan like MHDC and things like that that could be forgivable over a period of time. I'd probably do that one differently in hindsight. That's something that we could talk about. That's something that could happen over a period of time. And I think for you as an experienced developer, I mean, you know all the, the tools and, and levers to pull, which is smart to, to, to sort of layer those. And I, I, I have to ask you, Ken Bacchus, what are your feelings and your thoughts on how all of this is unfolding? And of course, you have a very unique role with CCED. Well, it, it is a, a series of unfortunates, I think. <clears throat> we started this process on the CCD and the use of it, actually it was one quarter cent sales tax. It ended up being one eighth in 2012. And I've been with it since the beginning and helped formulate and actually ran the camp, helped run the campaign. Dr. Howard was part of the campaign, Bishop Tyndall. There's about seven or eight of us. Uh, Dr. Hasley, who is now mm-hmm. a councilwoman, was part of the campaign. We ran the campaign. I ran the part. 
uh, in certain parts of the city and other people ran in other places. But I would say that it, this, this fund was never, the city never wanted it. The city manager didn't want it. Mayor James didn't want it. Certain members of the city council didn't want it. All the, the third and fifth district council person, Lee Bonds to uh, Jermaine Reed to, um, I think you were on the council then. No, you were not. That was us. Uh, and um, Quinn Lucas and, and Miss uh, Kennedy were all supportive. They were very supportive and they helped us uh, in many, many ways. So we, we, we actually got it passed. But once we got to City Hall, Bishop and I, and I don't know if Reverend Howard's probably, we went to meet with the city manager and the mayor. They promised us they would do whatever they could do to make it work and that they would provide the staff at no cost against the uh, the fund. And we are holding them to that even today. And, and, the, and, how, and how is that working out? Because that's, that seems to be that the, the issue, the word that uh, Dr. Howard used was apparatus, that infrastructure that should be supporting it. Well, the, the reality of it is, uh, the people at City Hall that are in housing and community development four, three and a half or four years ago, they're gone. Mm. The folks that are there now have almost no experience in doing these kind of developments and projects. So we have two and a half persons down there that help us run the paper through City Hall. They actually are very good. Dion and a couple other assistants, they help us get the contracts through, and we're really pleased with that. What we're not pleased with is there's no technical assistance to the community. There's no place you're going to walk into and talk to people about how this works. We've funded several small community-type development projects. If they had the technical assistance, their project would probably completed, be completed now. The problem is there's no technical assistance. And there's no one inside City Hall who know this business well enough to help anyone. So, so to Bishop's point. You go, go right ahead, Dr. Howard. Go right ahead. But this, this, is a very, this is a very key point in the conversation because we, we talked about the technical support. Uh, we talked about uh, Mr. Simmons, if he would do it all over again from a for-profit developer's standpoint. Let us be clear. We're talking about some 40 uh, projects or so of uh, several million dollars. It is the grassroots community. It is poor people. It is marginalized people. It is people who have been disinvested from, who had the vision and the strength and the power to put together this proposal, take it to the people in spite of the fact that the powers of government denied it. it and didn't want it. And we forced it to be a reality. So is, think, is, is, think, is there pushback to make sure that it doesn't have what it needs to be successful? Is that, is, cause I'm, I'm, I I'm speak, hearing a bit of a I thing. can't speak to anybody's heart, but here's, but here's what's clear. We're talking about uh, a handful of years that this, this program has been in play. Remember the red line of disinvestment in our area has been going on for a century or more. We're talking about decades of disinvestment, of redlining, of not allowing equity of investment in our communities. It is the city of Kansas City, Missouri's moral obligation and responsibility to ensure that equity of investment happens in our community. Okay. And it is not happening. And, and so that is the reason and the justification for what the bishop is saying. Well, I that want to go back to Bishop Tindall. independent. 
And it has to be something that our lawyers, our professional people and staff run to ensure that it happens the way it's supposed well, to. And I, so that, that, that actually, for me, it really raises the question. I'm glad, I'm glad for what you said because it raises the question of, is this intentional? I mean, we're talking about a $53 million pot of money. And apparently, as I understand it, at least, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, not a significant portion of that, if any, is or even can be used for these administrative. And, okay, so this just has not been done then. Absolutely. We've had, okay, so we've had, we've had zero, almost zero support in the management of City Hall to help us. We've been fighting left and right. We now have a cadre of support, including Councilwoman Robinson, that are assisting us in terms of making certain that we leave. We will always have the city hall component. What is different in some of the alphabet soup groups like EDC, PIA, PIA and all of them, they have a staff and they have an attorney assigned to them that write their ordinances, push it through city hall. Staff attorney we have is an assistant city attorney at city hall whose main, whose main job is certainly not us, but is they're responsible to us, which means we don't really receive the level of support we should. And so that is the problem. So we think we need to move beyond, we should be in a contracting position, like a, a, of some entity or something to manage that part, where we have an attorney designated for us. We need to be physically in the community. We need to have people hired in the community who know the community, so they can, and they need to have the qualifications necessary to provide the technical assistance to help people move their projects through. So, it, and, and I should say uh, for our viewers and, and for the benefit of the panel that we did invite uh, the mayor on. Uh, he was unable to join us, but he, he did issue a written statement that our viewers can find uh, at flatlandshow.org. And, I, you know, I, along with some other reporting from our, from our newsroom, but not to, to put all of this on you, Councilwoman, and or make you speak for all of City Hall, but it seems to me then that the issue is, as everyone here has said, that we don't have the infrastructure that we need to move contracts through, some of the technical assistance, so on and so forth. What then is the message to staff at City Hall? And of course, that flows to and through the city manager. What is it that they're not getting? Or is there something, and I, and I don't mean to impute any intent on anybody. I'm just curious to understand why there is this sort of resistance. Well, I think it is important to, to understand what the the solution is to make sure that there is one of the biggest um, goals of this project is to build community capacity. And so in order to do that, you have to be close to the community and there needs to be a physical location that's in the community where that there is staff to do these things. The challenge for me in this conversation, though, we're talking about $53 million. We're talking about taxpayer dollars that are precious. We're talking about the historic disinvested investment in the community. We're talking about some great projects that have happened that have transformed our community, including a 24 hour daycare center that helped to make sure people could go to work right. so that we can Which build a billion yeah. dollar airport. <laughs> and in the backdrop, I'm thinking about a $270 million deck over I-670 that was funded just like that. Mm. And we're talking about 
$53 million over the last several years, um, the, the, our community needs more. We need to be talking about how these projects are transforming the community. We need to, yes, be talking about how do we make it better and build capacity in ways that we've never done before. Um, but there's a lot going on, um, in this city and we need to be focused on what is the trajectory for the third district? What is the trajectory for um, disinvested, disinvested parts of our fifth district um, versus um, a lot of this conversation that we're that we're. So let me I, I, that raises a bit of a challenge in my mind. And so I wonder, Bishop Tyndall, do you feel like the sentiments of you know, the community, the people that you interface with all the time, just being who you are in Kansas City, is is their sentiment matching what is being expressed here at the table, that there's not enough progress, uh, there's not been enough support, whether or not they know all the individual machinations that are, uh, you know, undergirding all this? Do you feel like the public sentiment is one generally of support, or is there one of bewilderment or, or disappointment? Well, it's part of all of it. With all of what you said, um, how how we how we save the tax, I, I don't I don't know unless the city uh, acquiesces to the fact that it needs to be a community project. The city has hijacked the the whole program at this particular time, and so how we get to where we need to be, I don't know. I I, I heard what Calvin said about his project is that if it wasn't for the eight cent sales tax, he never would have been able to do his project. If his same project was on uh, on Broadway, downtown, would, would he have been able to say the same thing? Yeah, no, they'd be throwing money he at got the, all the investment he needed. And so as a result of his, of, of, of his project was being built up on the backs of poor people's money, uh, that's, that's unfortunate, that's unfortunate. The city should have contributed and put into his project just as they would have one light, two light, or three light. Well, and, so, and so I was going to come to you, so yeah, please, your response. I think it's, it's interesting to look at this, uh, especially from a historical perspective. I'm going to give you an apples-to-apples apples kind of comparison if I can. Some people would argue it's not. But let's look at 2005, and let's look at, uh, for instance, Berkeley River Park, right? 2005, you just had a bike trail, nothing else, right? right? 2005, you have a Port Authority. Port Authority is an entity that is one of those economic development, you quasi-governmental quasi government. entities. Yep. 2005, nothing was taking place. It was pretty much vacant, nothing happening. Um, it was at that point in time, uh, developers weren't even going down there because you had to clean up a lot of that that was down there. Right. MGE had a lot of storage tanks that were there. Developers said, no, we're not going to deal with that. That's Port Authority. Fast forward today. Uh, as of probably a month, six weeks ago, Port Authority issues probably $700, $800 million in revenue bonds for the new Kansas City current development, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to transform and change that entire area just in a you know few years, if you really think about it, 2005, 2006 to today, there's going to be almost a billion dollars spent in an area where nothing was there, practically nothing. But you fast forward probably in the next three, four years, a billion dollars would have taken place. Take the same example at 18th and Vine. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, to issue a almost 800 million dollars in revenue bonds 
but to only have CCED money coming into to 18th and Vine, that's no apples and, and, and apples yeah. comparison. But when the city really wants to do something and wants to move, right. well, you can. I, I think that's the bigger point here, that uh, if, if there were, uh, you know, a serious interest in making sure that it could be supported and could really thrive, and we see the promise of CCED realized, well, you, you'd put support behind that. You'd put the mechanisms in place to make that happen, right? 2005, 2006, you had nothing downtown, right? 2005, 2006, this is pre Power and light district. Right. Yeah, you could turn circles on 2007, on 2008. Yeah. You say we're going to do it. Next thing you know, today, we are doing it. You got one light, two light, three light. You got all of the housing. You got all of those things. My point is, if you really want to do it and you say it's a priority, they can do it. Well, and let They've me say this. that they will do it. I, I think that for a lot of folk on the east side, and that's the area of the community that I come from, very proudly so, and... I know that for many years, there's sort of this collective zeitgeist uh, that many of us share in that feels like, um, and, I, and I, I want to throw this question to you, Kim, back. It's like, is this, was this the moonshot for East Side development? Was this that once in a lifetime, do it or we don't get it again? Because I think what a lot of people fear is that with the renewal coming up and not seeing things move fast enough, that there won't even be the energy to get the renewal through in just four years. And of course, campaigning around that has got to start sooner than later. And so I just, uh, first to you, Ken Bacchus, and then uh, Councilwoman. Well, well, actually, I want to go back because I don't think we've said enough nice about what has happened. <clears throat> today, today, the commission has recommended $53 million in projects and the council has approved all of those recommendations. Those recommendations have brought in $480 million of money, private dollars, that, that's in addition to the $53 million. We have basically, if you, take a, if you take $100 of what we've done today, we, the, the taxes put in $11 private sector has put in $89 to every $11 we put in. 11% difference. $480 million in private sector and other dollars have been invested to date in 40-some projects. And that is, that is almost unheard of in some places. But are we where we need to be? No. These are catalytic projects. They are making a difference in these communities. The problem is the disconnect between what people think it ought to be and how it ought to work. Do we have these other challenges? Absolutely. The staff today, and, and we, they approved 10 projects back in May, the council did. Of those 10, four of those are already under contract. We weren't even close to something like this a year ago. They are making some changes, but they're, but, but they're not necessarily as quick as they should be. We see how to make it happen, but our next phase is we could do double as much if we were out in the community, had the technical assistance of staff, and, and are able to make this work. We could stretch this money down to seven to one instead of 11 to one. So, so, so I'm just telling you, many things are happening. Uh, money has been invested. $480 million that wasn't even in this community is in this community today. Which, I mean, is, is highly significant. We're talking about a amount of money. No, it's just not. We're talking about half a billion dollars almost in investment before it's all over. 
Councilwoman, I'm, I, I'm interested to know you hearing all of this and certainly, I mean, you're, you're, you're at City Hall, but you're also very much in the community. How does all this sit with you? Well, the Central City Economic Development Sales Tax is one piece of the puzzle. It's a critical piece of the puzzle. Yes, we need to make sure that those funds are getting to the right folks at the right time with the right level of expectations. Um, and we also need to do more. It's just one piece of the puzzle. Um, the heart of our city needs more. Uh, we need transformational investment. We need to look at things like, for example, we have the uh, Blue River in the third district where we could do a lot of things. We want the same deal that the other parts of the city gets. Um, and that takes, um, yes, CCED, but it also takes other investments uh, from the city and the private sector. And so it's one piece of the puzzle. But in order for us to really receive the repair that's needed for the long-lasted disinvestment that we continue to see today. We just had a fight about making sure that the airport continued on with this right. community benefits agreements. And so this is a continual struggle. And this is one piece that, yes, we have to get it right. Uh, we have to have the trust of the voters. Um, but City Hall, we need to step up and do well, better. It, it sounds like a few things are happening here. One is that our, our perspective on what Central City development looks like has is having to broaden. And, and both you and uh, uh, Kelvin have mentioned the, the the need to utilize a variety of tools to make these things happen. I mean, that should probably go without saying. But I, 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 I turn to you, Dr. Howard, and to you, uh, Bishop Tyndall, and uh, I, I just have to ask, do you think, based on where we are today, that if this uh, piece of legislation was back up before the voters, that they would support it again and that we would see this kind of strong support we saw initially? Bishop well, I, th I think that that it's important to note uh, that it was a citywide vote and that it took uh, obviously a particular percentage of majority of those voters to make this happen. And that voters, I believe, responded to a moral call as having looked at the history that we have talked about of disinvestment in our community. But it also took the strength and courage of grassroots mobilization. Right. And I don't think the name of the Urban Summit has been um, spoken here in this context, but it should be because we're talking about a nonprofit advocacy group that brought the vision and the energy and the mobilization to the table and that the city responded at the ballot. It's time for the city of Kansas City, Missouri to step up and say, we support this with our mouths, but also it's time for the commission, which has the power to present to the city council and the city manager and the mayor, these kinds of structural capacity building changes that we are talking about making that Bishop is talking about. The commission has the capacity to present to the city council 
and the city manager and the mayor. These changes that need to take place in order to move beyond 2017 to make this systemic and structural rather than 10 years of development. And Ron, then I think it's that's all. the key. So, yeah, yeah. This, this is very important. And, and, and I think we, we need to hear from the commissioners. It is easy to say it wasn't done. It's very difficult to say, commissioners, why was it not done? So, and why is it not being done right now? And so let me, and, let, and, let's and, ask that question. Is very critical. Critical. Uh, and not to put you on the spot. Uh, I have been very clear. Yeah. To, to do what, what Dr. Howard is saying, to, to say to City Hall, we need these things, are they just not listening even to you? No, no, we, we've been very clear about that. And, and I've mentioned that today as the solution that really need to happen. And I believe that that is occurring. We have a group of people inside City Hall, now including uh, the councilwoman that's here, who are supporting that idea. You, this is not new to you. Uh, we have talked about this and we think there's support for it. We need to make certain that the mayor and the city manager is on board with it as well. We believe we're moving down that pathway. As I mentioned, some of the 10 projects that were proposed, recommended back in March that the council heard in May, three or four of those are already have contracts. This is just, I mean, as of two weeks ago. And the other that, ones, that, that's crazy. And, and other, that and is in, that's insulting. And the, other and the ones, reason it's insulting is because if, 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 if you can get four contracts out, how come you can't get an executive director no, no, or a building that's not or, or, or a staff? That's crazy. You know what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. It's more than it's more than one. It's more than one linear way that we we're going up and down a number of things all the time. There's a number of projects we things we worked on. We we have been working on getting independent uh, out in the community offices and staff. We have never stopped doing that. We are now actually receiving support inside. City Hall for that to happen, Councilwoman. I think I'm saying that correct. Now, uh, the administrative part of all of these projects, if it's, even if it's EDC, their projects have to come through council as well through ordinances. But the difference is they have the staff and they have, yeah, I, uh, and they have the legal people. We have none of that. We're saying that is what we need and we need to be out in the community. And the community led by the Urban Summit with the help of SCLC, NAACP, Urban League, and a host of grassroots organizations were advocating for that to be the first thing that happens. Why? Because the infrastructure is there there to make this long term and sustainable. I, that's beyond the word I wanted to get this, to. You said well, systemic. I want to get to sustainable. Sure, I, think that's, I, I think that's the, yeah, that's the right word for it. And <laughs> it, it sounds like everybody knows what, what, what needs to happen. And just, you know, as I have to wrap the conversation, but it, it sounds like the, the bridge between where we are and where we want to be is not quite as long as, as it might seem. And, and to your point, uh, Mr. Bacchus, it seems like a lot of that effort is is, is moving that way, but I think there's one of it's one of momentum. Councilman, we'll give you the last word and oh, then we'll wrap. We there is a new city council that's been seated, and so to the points earlier, I think that there is more receptivity to being uh, more creative, and not only necessarily creative, but answering the expectations of the community that was set out in the beginning. So we're very hopeful that we'll be able to turn the tide, and that we're also hopeful that. Um, the 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 voters of Kansas City 
will have confidence to understand the importance of this investment and continuing. Well, and that's, that's a very valid point just as we go, because I appreciate what Dr. Howard said, that it was a citywide initiative. So it was the, all of Kansas City saw value and, and benefit in that. Well, that's where we wrap up today's conversation for this episode of Flatland in Focus. You've been hearing from treasurer of the CCED board, Ken Bacchus, uh, co-owner of the 1-9 development project, Kelvin Simmons, Bishop James Tyndall Sr., president and founder of the Urban Summit. And thank you for your leadership on this issue, Bishop Tyndall, and Dr. Vernon Howard, president of the SELC of Greater Kansas City. Third District Councilwoman, Melissa Robinson, thank you as, also, uh, as always for being a guest on the show with us. And be sure to check out the rest of our reporting on the CCED sales tax at flatlandkc.org. You can also join us on Instagram at flatlandkc to join our live stream discussion. Ask all of your questions on this topic. Uh, we would love to have you. I'm Dee Rashawn Gilmore, and this has been Flatland in Focus. As always, thank you for the pleasure of your time. You can watch that panel discussion along with our accompanying documentary on our website at flatlandshow.org. Thanks so much for joining us for the Flatland and Focus podcast. Be sure to tune in for our very next episode on the future of the Country Club Plaza, November 16th at 7 p.m. on Kansas City PBS and flatlandkc.org.